Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. Another great episode for you this week as we hear from a huge UK brand about how to make copy work across different markets, uh, keeping that tone of voice uh, while also adapting to localization. Rachel Spedding, head of uh, copy at Photobox, joins me today to talk about how one team can make copy work across a dozen different languages. We're also going to be talking about how to use microcopy to improve conversion and how to speak to different audiences without changing the tone of voice too much and losing the other audiences. Let's get Rachel on now. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just introducing yourself? Give us a bit of your background, what what you're doing at the moment and how you've got to where you are. Nice to be here. So I am currently working as head of copy at Photobox. For anyone who doesn't know, they are a company who print photo products. So mainly in the gifting space, photo books, photo mugs, basically personalized gifting products. They've been around for about 20 years or so now. So they're kind of big dogs in the space of, of photo printing. Prior to that, I was working at Treatwell, which was a startup for booking hair and beauty appointments online. So very different. That was more service and software as a service at company as opposed to the physical product space that I'm in now and freelance on the side of that. So helping various smaller brands to kind of find their voice along with a bit of brand strategy work as well. And yeah, just always been around words essentially. Awesome. Sounds good. So yeah, how do you get customers clicking at Photobox? So Photobox customers love a discount and they tend to know that we're the brand that will offer that discount. But I guess the difference for us is that we are not the only ones offering a discount. So It's actually pretty rare to find a photo product company who are charging full price on their products. It tends to be kind of slash prices everywhere. So we need a point of difference as to why a customer would come to Photobox. And I see copy as kind of our key way to deliver that. So we have three brand pillars or customer benefits, which are ease of use, quality and speed of delivery. So I suppose while a discount might be the reason that you find us, the way we introduce ourselves as a brand and how we communicate with you beyond your purchase, which is predominantly through email and push notifications and the like. Hopefully that's the reason that you would stay and continue to buy with us. I suppose on a more tangible kind of level, copy, sorry, our biggest like, sort of click successes fall into like those more kind of classic marketing wins. So like clickbait style subject lines are not something that we'll always put out there, but we kind of know that they're reliable if we do. And I noted down just a couple of ones that have been good for us in terms of high click-through rate. So one we had, which was Finder, kind of colon, buy a photo book today. Or one of my favorite push notifications that was a trigger that we sent to customers who've abandoned their basket. It says the push you needed with the little eyes emoji. And then a few more clicks and your creation will be on its way to make someone grin. And so those kind of like more snappy kind of cheeky bits of copy that that tend to get people opening and, and coming through to our website or to our app. But I would say that that's kind of an ideal scenario and we're constantly fighting to hero brand messaging over discount-led copy, but nine times out of 10, a price-led message will be the winner because that is what customers tend to come to us for. But then I guess I also just wanted to touch on in terms of what gets customers clicking, the kind of relevancy for us being big. So we're answering our SEO briefs daily and we're writing more content to get us noticed by Google, but we also play into the context of what people are searching for and promote that on social. So we recently did a Instagram story on 10 places to visit in the UK, which is contextually relevant because people are looking for a holiday destination at the minute. But then we kind of cheekily infuse some copy into the end of that story to say, you know, once you finish going there, remember to print your photos with us. So by having sort of relatable and genuinely useful copy, we're hoping that customers will then naturally think of us when they want to print photos and we'll be the place that they click to to come and create with us. Yeah, you're, you're providing that that kind of free extra value, which makes someone say, exactly. you know, I don't know, why did I go on this holiday or 
you know, why am I here in the first place? Oh, it's because of that article um, yeah, that I read sure. on, on the Photobox website, which is not necessarily where you'd expect to see an article like that. Yeah, I quite like the the examples you mentioned. The reminder ones in particular is interesting because I get why that would work, mm. but it's not quite as a, like aggressive as you know those email subject lines you get, which are re or forward. Yeah, and it's not actually in res- like response to an email. It's it's yeah. just that first contact where they're using that subject line, which gets a bit annoying. It does get, and um, it's it's a bit disturbing at times like I've I've had ones that say like an update on your order or like there's a problem with your order things like this that you click in and I find a lot of fast fashion brands do that a lot and it does get your attention and you do think like well that was smart but ultimately it's probably doing more harm than good to the brand well is it there's a problem with your order and then when you open the email it says you haven't made one yeah (laughs) (laughs) some copyright is really smug somewhere that they've come up with that I think I think that'd be a really good campaign to run once mm. and then maybe leave it there yeah yeah um, so like, that, the reminder is about is about as far as we've as we've stretched it so it's not yeah. to end anyone <laughs> so it, interestingly i was on i was doing some customer interviews today in fact they're, they're pretty much all week and mm. someone brought up emails just brought them up by herself we didn't didn't ask her and she mentioned that she'd actually like to see more content-led emails and less of the the reminders and the the discount stuff. So, well, what she is- felt was, I suppose, what she what what she felt was, if she's going to buy, like she, she will buy when she sees something she's interested in, not mm-hmm. just because we're sticking a discount in front of her. Yeah, yeah, and- it's a it's a difficult one for us. Like we are trying to push inspirational content more and more because, especially, I don't know what what kind of space she was working in or industry, but we are supposed to be inspirational in the sense of you're ultimately printing stories that you've made outside and and with your favorite photos. And so it figures that we would be wanting to lead customers to go try, go, go try this or take, this is how to take your photos in the best way or whatever that might be. But ultimately like it's the classic brand versus sales kind of debate that will just be ever, ever running. You need to get it everywhere. Those emails drive sales, but there's still a benefit to what you're doing, right? The that content will still be driving sales, and it'll be driving. It could be driving sales from either new new customers or people who don't open the emails or yeah. aren't subscribed to the emails. Whereas the people who subscribe to the emails, they might actually literally just be that cohort of people who wants discounts, and the only reason they're subscribed to, dis- to the emails is to receive discounts so they can make a purchase. Yeah. So. If you kind of work these things out, then yeah, it does lead you down that route of saying, well, there's not much point putting the, the time and effort into the inspirational content and emails because people don't want it. They kind of know what they're, they're doing anyway. They just mm. want the discount and, and then they'll make a purchase. I mean, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it plenty of mm. times before. Actually, one of the first episodes, episode two or three, I think, with Parry from Frazy. I don't mm. know if you know, do you know Frazy? No, I don't. It's an AI copywriting tool. Which oh, cool. is probably your worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. But it, <laughs> yeah. At the time, it was, I think, solely email subject lines. And the idea was that it takes away that bias, that personal bias on what you think is a good subject line. Mm-hmm. And it spits out 20 of them for you to use. And for one of their clients in the hobby space, they actually found out that they could just ditch discounts. They didn't have to be discounting. People, mm-hmm. the, the discount was 
a bonus to the customers and it was taking 30, 40% off the, off the revenue for the business. But actually when they went with more content led subject lines, people were still clicking through, people were still buying. Then they shifted to content in the emails and people were still buying, you know, clicking through and buying. Mm. So they kind of worked out that actually their audience didn't really care about discounts. They wanted the right products for the right project. Okay. I guess as well that then comes a lot down to your targeting, right? Like if you can, if you know that you've got that like hobby crowd and you can direct, you know, that kind of content to them, I feel like that then influences what you can write about. Because for us, we, at Photobox specifically, we, we can't target due to resource, essentially, we can't target very specifically at the moment. And that is such a magic way to be able to, from then on, you can be like, oh, we know that this inspirational content is going to get read by someone, even if we still have to churn out discounts for everyone else. But that's pretty smart that they could then know that from, I guess, who was opening, who was reading and who was clicking through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, but you've got to, you, yeah, like you said, with the resource, you've got to have the people available to be able to assess that data, you know, analyze the data mm-hmm. and actually come up to come up with these conclusions, possibly even do those interviews as well yeah. to find out what these customers really want. I mean, there's sure. other industries as well where either people aren't putting in the effort and I'm not going to bother or they are it's it's just it's such a difficult industry and they've tried it and it's impossible to to not discount you know the the supplements supplements industry in particular that's another one where I receive discounts I mean there's, there's one brand who email me every day mm. I think it's on average every day because every now and again they miss a day and they seem to make it up <laughs> a couple of days later and every single email is promotional it's really problematic then I suppose as well because like I, you would assume then that that website is always like company is always going to have a discount so even if you haven't received an email you think well I'll find the discount code somewhere online and so you kind of then lose the impact of getting any emails at all because you just know that it's an always on discount company and it's yeah. sort of then you know the poor person writing that copy if, if someone is who's not getting to get any message across aside from just slash pricing yeah, you know that a, a content-led email is not going to work, but you're also starting to see that your discount-led emails aren't working. Exactly. Because, you know, there's only so much you can buy, right? That, that's, yeah. that's, in fact, that's the thing that annoys me more, really. There was, I was receiving pro- promotional emails before I'd even received the product. Right. So their problem really is they're not taking into account any sort of customer behavior. They're literally just saying, anyone who hits this list, we're going to email them every single day. Mm-hmm the new campaign and yeah it's so resource intensive as well it's just and almost a wasted opportunity where i don't know if, if they were anyway but something we started doing more recently is packaging inserts and including like a flyer the, the way i mean HelloFresh is obviously the brand that kind of includes all those leaflets but within our photo box parcels there'll be a leaflet that comes through and it has our kind of brand manifesto and something quite inspirational on there, but with an exclusive uh, discount code on the back. And that just seems like a far more effective way of not only passing on that discount, but then building a bit of like brand loyalty there as well, where actually, like you say, you can tell you've just not even been considered in that journey. You've just been chucked a random email to be given more money off. It's a waste of opportunity, really. Yeah, exactly. I want to move on slightly about kind of tone of voice because so Photobox is is it global or is it selective it with is, countries yeah. or yeah yeah i think we're in 11 countries but i'll probably, okay. probably got that one. <laughs> all right so how with copy how do you how do you make sure that your 
kind of consistent basically how do you give how do you make sure you're giving everyone that same brand experience and that tone of voice mm-hmm. but bearing in mind you've got to be translated into what, 11 different languages yeah i'd say sort of communication sounds a bit obvious but is the is the key thing between our teams so we're fortunate in that we have a French copywriting team as well as English. So I've got two amazing French copywriters and they work in parallel with our UK team. And while we can't speak every language, if only, we can collaborate together and run lines past each other to try and get consistency, at least between English and French. And the way we then work is we'll send English and French off to a translation agency, like you say, who will translate, not transcreate. So it is pretty kind of direct translation. And so I suppose where it gets more difficult is and I've had this problem at companies previously, is trying to get consistency the, f- the further away from English that you go. So Australia or New Zealand, who we have now at Photobox, we can write as an English speaker and we can change out to be relevant to the seasons or to kind of other types of nuances. But for Spanish or Italian markets, how do we know that we're presenting this ubiquitous brand everywhere, a brand that's synonymous with quality and also has that kind of cheeky photo box wink that we like to think there is in our tone and I guess we can't really so as I said the way we operate now is with translation agency so different to transcreation it's far more literal and although they they're pretty attuned to how so they they have translators but they also use machine learning which I think the majority of of translation agencies do where they can remember our kind of preferred language style so if we always say gift instead of present just a random example and the machine will learn that and then we'll have regular check-ins with that agency but we'll still get the occasional comment from an Italian speaker recently who's received like a a questionable subject line that doesn't just just doesn't make sense to them and so I suppose until we have the resource to have a copywriter in every market which I've actually found to be obviously the most successful in the past because you can work together collaborate transcreate and form tone of voice guidelines as a collective we kind of just have to be open to feedback and aligning closely with non-copywriters most of the time to help us get that consistent voice so if if I do get a slap message off someone a German finance person for example who says this really doesn't make any sense okay let's look back at our international style guides that we have let's see what's gone wrong there and just constant communication to try and make it as, as good as it can be with without the ability to have all languages superpower which would obviously be the best case scenario <laughs> yeah yeah I mean <laughs> Where I've worked in the past, where we have had international presences, we've either had offices, so we've actually had the people there, or we just happen to have had those speakers in the business. Yeah. Because they, they normally have been multiple offices anyway. So there, you know, if, if we have centralized something like you know, email marketing, it's easy just to send that subject line across and say, can you translate this and just make sure it makes sense? You know? Yeah. And if they come back and say, I've translated it. It doesn't really make sense. We wouldn't have Germans wouldn't talk like this or something. Yeah. Then it's just, well, can you just, just give me something back, right? Yeah. Give, give me something I can work with because that's better than, well, yeah, we often found that was better than sending a subject line, which didn't, you know, it might've been translated perfectly, but it's still not how they would, didn't uh, it they right. would say it. Yeah. Which is hard, I guess, as well, because you're, you know, that, it kind of then I don't want to say undermines but when you have a team of copywriters who are kind of analyzing every word and and really like doing the doing the best to come up with some original new copy and then you're turning to someone who isn't a copywriter not to discredit anyone's ability to write because maybe they can write fine but it is still it's not what they're made to be doing and so it kind of then 
it, it's a lack of respect for the markets in a way, but it's obviously better than, as you say, translating and having something that just doesn't make sense, where it looks like you just haven't even cared to to make it relevant. So yeah, it's it, it's never ideal, but yeah. we I mean, we've been guilty of doing that too, especially with like if, if it's a reactive piece of content, jumping on something yeah. maybe a legal thing or a mistake or something. That's when obviously you want it to be spot on. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess speaking of that kind of expertise, one thing I wanted to ask you, because this is something I've kind of had problems with in some of the companies I've worked in. How do you make sure? So you've got a, it's a central copy team, isn't it? Just a, a team of copywriters and you write the copy for everything. So how do you make sure you've got the expertise in that team to produce copy for the different marketing channels and, you know, the different levels of intent? You know, you've got to understand you know who the audience is for an email who the audience is for ppc for facebook so how do you make sure the team's got kind of some of that knowledge yeah. to make sure that you know everything makes sense yeah it's a good question because it's kind of one of the perks i'd say of of working in a centralized copy team is that you get to have so much variation in your day to day that you could be jumping from ppc to an email newsletter but of course the, there are kind of requirements that come with that and i guess for us, it's it's working really closely with those separate teams and having regular catch-ups and sort of creative success meetings. So, of course, we have to test is is a major part of that. So just to paid social, for example, like Facebook ads, we know that video is, of course, most effective because it moves fast and, and you can land sort of more emotional content more quickly. But if we then load a video as copywriters with loads of text, then it's kind of defeating the point of that pace. But that might be just what we're inclined to do because we love words and so we really try to like herald the the end frame on paid social ads to land the brand piece more but we'll know that if there's a discount that needs to be shown throughout the whole ad so that we're not waiting to the last minute to announce it and i guess it's those kind of learnings that have come through workshopping with our paid social experts or our crm teams or whoever that team is and not just working in silo because i think you know in the same in the same way you'd kind of collaborate with a designer it, there's nothing worse than just kind of writing a piece of copy and churning it out to be used on any so I guess getting data from those teams suggesting tests not just adhering to them so recently we've been looking into whether questions for subject lines are effective or not something as minor as that and then I guess just accepting that sometimes a subject line isn't very good if the experts have told you but then I guess just to like caveat that in the same respect like it does work both ways and sometimes our search team uh, they might tell us that a PPC ad is performing really well and it gets the most clicks by far. But if I look at it and it's super dated or it feels really off brand and for, for us, that would be loads of exclamation marks because I've tried to cut them from the majority of our copy. Yeah. Those like those experts, they also need to be open to feedback from the copy experts. And so, yeah, just collaboration, communication and having monthly basically workshops where we look back on um, creatives that we've pulled together and they can feedback and tell us how to improve. But we can also chip in and say, this is what we want to do as a copy team. This is how we want to get better. Yeah, I can imagine that that can maybe be a, a bit difficult conversation because, you know, I know I've been in that position where someone's given some feedback and saying, you know, you can't do it like this. It needs to be like that because that's on brand. And my response is, but this works. Mm. Right. And it's not, you know, in some cases, it's not. Well, I never felt it was massively off brand. It's not like I was using different fonts, different colors, and things. Yeah. But, you know, example, though, the exclamation marks, right? You know, if that test has been done and exclamation marks won, 
then my response, especially, you know, I'm a conversion marketer, right? My response Mm. is always going to be, well, we keep the the exclamation marks because it makes money. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, maybe exclamation marks is a really specific thing, but I suppose it's that kind of long-term, like long-term win. Again, it comes back to like building brand awareness versus getting sales. But like a lot of people would probably say, what does an exclamation mark, what harm does it do to a brand? Like And like you say, if it's performing well, just keep it in. But if we're not, if we're not using them anywhere else, and I appreciate this is a really specific example, yeah. if we're not using them anywhere else and you just see it on that ad there, it's just not going to be building that kind of ubiquitous feeling of photo box, for example, that, that you see everywhere else. And I guess I would argue, and maybe my manager would hate me for saying it, that it's more valuable to have built that long-term awareness and got someone to buy into your brand and buy into that consistency and what they expect to see from your personality versus that one random ad that you do click on that doesn't feel like us. Otherwise, we're not going to manage to be separate from these other competitors if we can't be consistent within ourselves just for the sake of a quick sale. But the PPC team would probably disagree. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, with things like subject lines, I've, I've run tests. I can't remember the exact one. Um, but it's things like writing 20%, the word percent, mm. instead mm. of using a percent symbol. And yeah, if everywhere in the brand use a percent symbol and then the subject line starts going out with the word percent, then yeah, it's it's kind of difficult to justify, especially as the, the difference there is probably quite minor yeah, for the customer. And I, it's unlikely to make that big an impact. Yeah, and I suppose it bases it's it, it's around timelines as well. Like if something might not have worked, I think we've been quite guilty of if something didn't work two years ago, that becomes a rule that we never do it again. And I mean, quite literally, so much has changed in the world in the last two years. Not to say that that would influence how people see the word percent written as a word or yeah. or as a symbol, but then again, you don't know. And and so I feel as though regular testing is important and to look back on what you've done and like refresh, refresh those tests regularly if you can. Obviously, I guess like A-B testing is, well, for us, quite a simple thing to do. And yeah, just make sure you're being relevant to the time. So if, if something wasn't working, I mean, more so this time last year, people were starting to go out again and, and for us take more photos and create more products again but it felt like something that was quite new and exciting. And so that might've changed how we presented subject lines to how we would do it now. And maybe exclamation marks were more relevant than when there was this kind of burst of being back out in the wild yeah. and living again versus now. So, okay, maybe we need to test that again because everyone's in a different mindset to where they were this time last year. So I guess, yeah, being like consistently staying on top of those tests and not just taking something as Bible just because it once was that way. Yeah. Well, I imagine an example that probably probably happens to a lot of businesses is around sustainability yeah and how you know maybe 10 years ago 10 15 years ago if you put sustainability messaging on your products and, and in your messaging it might not have got any response at all or, or a very low response but now it's it's definitely it's a lot more prominent people you know again with these interviews it comes up right people say i, I like to buy from from businesses that are ethical and sustainable but yeah, you're, you're right. If if you tested that ten years ago and said, "Well, people don't care about sustainability messaging, so you never bring it back," then you're mm. you're missing out. Definitely, um, that's that, a really that good could, example. Yeah, that that could be one of those things that you know, if your customer, if your 
sorry, is it like USPs. I've, I've mentioned this on LinkedIn, actually. You might have the same selling points as your competitor, but if you're the one talking about them, then you have the USP. Mm. Right. So your competitors can be sustainable as well. But if you're the one who brings that messaging back in, because now it mm. works, you're the sustainable brand, not the competitor. Yeah, definitely. It's better to be, and I suppose we that's quite a relevant example to us. We've just launched a sustainability sort of web like web page that you can learn more about us. And like scrutinizing the copy on that, even just for me, is so different to how I would have approached it last year, where people are, you know, so attuned to greenwashing and like reading between the lines of, you know, we know there's a lot more we need to do. You need to be literal now. And so if you can like, oh, even if you're open to the, even if you're admitting, sorry, the fact that you haven't done enough yet, but you can call out a few things that you have done, that's going to give you a one up on the brands that are saying nothing at all. So it's a really good shout. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've mentioned this before, actually. Yeah. Cause I've, I've had a, well, at least one conversation about sustainability on the podcast, but it's, Probably might have been three or four years ago, I reckon. Four, four or five years ago. Lots of brands started to put just a recycling symbol on their product pages or a little icon which said sustainable, sustainably sourced, or mm. something like that. But there was literally nothing else on their website that would back that up. Yeah. And that's the situation where people look at it and go, really? Like, are you? Are you really? Whereas you can tell with certain brands whether whether they care about it because it's it's kind of all over their website, but without being without being all about their sustainability efforts. Mm. Yeah, it kind of is in the essence of everything they do, but often in quite a, a subtle way. But if you want to find that information, there'll always be a way of finding it. Whereas, like you say, sticking a label on something, it's just not enough. Yeah, one thing I, I, I guess it's similar to the. The different markets and languages obviously your products appeal to pretty much anyone of any age gender whatever right you know if you're 18 you're taking photos you're out taking photos you want photo frames or, or books or whatever and the same if you're 80 you, you know you're still still interested in these products so how do you how do you kind of speak to those different audiences who are going to have different needs and requirements you know different reasons why they're buying so how do you deal with that and maintain that kind of consistent central like tone of voice but that also speaks to different demographic groups yeah so we have four kind of key audience types at photobox that are all united by one umbrella which is wholehearted connectors we call them but within that does sit as you say, your younger developers, we say, so kind of 18 to 25, all the way up to through families and then up to our kind of older audience. And I guess something I'm always really aware of is even within that, you can break it even further to say you've got your young teenage person creating a photo book for an older person, or you've got your older person creating a photo book for themselves or for a gift for a younger person. There's kind of a lot of kind of layers to our audience. And I suppose it kind of comes back to, I mentioned the customer benefits earlier that we have as a brand, but I'm really keen on having that within our copy guidelines too. And it's something, if I'm working on a freelance project as well, one of the first things, once I've kind of pulled through like the brand piece and, and seen how a brand is presented, I'll try and come up with how I would define a voice with, with three key pillars. So for Photobox, ours are upbeat, personal and confident with a 
bracket of but humble in there to kind of where we where we acknowledge more that we could do maybe to your point around sustainability actually we won't always claim to be the experts in everything and I think if you can set foundations in that way that are really firm and expand on what those foundations mean to the copywriting team but also the, the wider brand team you can kind of lean into separate pillars or flex those points I'll always say in a different way that works for whether it's audience or even language to what we were saying earlier about different markets so for our UK developer audience the junior copywriter on my team I kind of always go to hear for our developer speak kind of the more tuned into social or TikTok or whatever that could be we were writing emails with the likes of phrases of glow up or these kind of more Gen Z type phrases. And when our day came back of who was reading our emails, it was like 65 plus category, basically age wise. And so it's like, okay, we probably should stop using things like glow up or category is in relation to RuPaul's Drag Race or whatever the, whatever the kind of inspiration was behind that copy and start trying to keep it more encompassing without then losing that developer market. And I think to do that, we've relied quite heavily on our channels so knowing that CRM probably needs to be a bit broader until we can get that more close-knit target in and speak mainly to to families and and those whole hard connectors as a whole but Instagram is the place where we can pull more into these like colloquialisms or kind of cultural niche references um and then paid social the more target we can get we can do the same but I guess my my kind of overarching answer would be to have those really firm pillars and not just say we're upbeat personal and confident but within my tone of voice guidelines I've been very clear on what we exactly we mean by upbeat and some examples of what upbeat looks like in a subject line versus in a customer service response and the same for personal and confident so that hopefully if you know the audience you're writing for you would learn how to flex that pillar to be relevant to that person which hopefully makes sense yeah yeah absolutely one thing you mentioned that I just want to touch on very quickly. You mentioned customer service there. So do you, does your copy team feed into customer service and how people should respond? Yeah, so we, we didn't previously, but it was kind of flagged that the templates hadn't been updated for a very long time, so much so that there was a reference to using paint in, in one of our responses. Okay. So that felt very dated. And so this was a huge project we just did at the start of this year for UK and France, where we looked over what those, you know, it's not a copy and paste template, but it's guidance for customer service. And we just yeah. tried to infuse a bit more, you know, instead of we are writing to you to inform you about blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's It sounds like the photo box that you've seen everywhere else and, you know, writing it from a person rather than the photo box team or just tiny little touches that hopefully feel more like this is a brand. And like long term we really hope that's going to pay off and we just introduced a chatbot as well recently phoebe on the website and that's a project i'm starting soon is to rework her phrases so that they also sound like the way we write little details like the chatbot capitalizes photo books and we wouldn't do that usually like little things like that the details that probably people don't really care about but i do (laughs) but yeah we, we, we don't check in regularly with customer service now that we've done that that template project but of course, like if ever they need help with anything, like we'll tr- we'll try and do what we can as copywriters to make them more comfortable with writing. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned. Yeah, just talking about like the kind of you know, oh well, customer service stuff. Really, I actually got an email from the Copy Club earlier mm. because my membership renewed, mm. and so I got the automated email, which is just your standard Stripe email. I think it might be slightly branded, but I also got one from the Copy Club 
which is just so much more interesting. Mm. Obviously, it's more interesting than a template, but it's it's so more interesting than pretty much any receipt email that I've ever received. And it's, it's only a tiny amount in there. It's, it's partly just the fact that in the subject line, it says forward to finance with a winky smile. <laughs> right? Because... I mean, I imagine a lot, of, a lot of people in there are part of companies who pay their pay for the the membership. I suppose. I mean, mine does, but it's my company, so <laughs> uh, I am finance. But yeah, it's just stuff like that. And and this is something that I've talked about before as well, particularly with an e- email. Just because it's transactional email doesn't mean it needs to be boring. Mm. Like you can get that tone of voice in there. You can make them interesting. Make people like smile when they read their order confirmation email and not just because they're seeing the list of products they've spent money on. Mm. Yeah. I wonder, like it's, it's a bit of a sort of different example, but when I worked at Treatwell, we were obviously every month our salon partners were receiving an invoice of invoice of the money they were to pay to Treatwell. And, you know, you kind of see this really fun, exciting brand outwardly, but this invoice would come through that was, super formal and almost like looks like some sort of like eviction notice or something and really what we want to say at that time of the month is like oh it's amazing to have you as a partner like look at all the people we've brought through your doors through this month this is all the ways we've helped you like oh by the way this is how much you owe us something like that that's just it's it's not a daunting surprise when it comes through but actually it's useful it's a bit more uplifting and hopefully it's actually on your side it's it's a cost it's an invoice it's something they don't want to pay really because mm. it's paying money mm-hmm. but the email it, it, you know you can rewrite the email to make it make people excited about it and yeah you know i suppose one thing i'll probably look at doing with that is saying you know your invoice is five thousand pounds but it's because we generated you fifty thousand pounds yeah right so exactly. kind of given putting that framing on the invoice to say it's actually it's not that money much money given that given what we we made for you Mm. which kind of brings me on to microcopy, which is something mm. we, we wanted to talk about quickly. Have you got any examples you can share or are there any particular areas where microcopy is a bit more focused for you? Yeah. So microcopy is... Also, what important. is microcopy? That'd be... Oh, yeah. So, yeah, might as well. Uh, microcopy from, from how we treat it is it's small kind of nuggets of copy that exist within a text space to inform you of something. So it could be like a tool tip that appears when you're in an app to kind of point you in the direction of something and say, this is what you need to do. It could be something as literal as your basket. So that just l- small sections of copy where often that's not giving you much room for creativity it's pretty functional and it's super important to me at the moment because for photobox we have we have the photobox app which is growing more and more so i noted down that we're 129 percent year on year for uk downloads last month so it's it's really picking up traction of of people downloading it and so we know more people are coming to our app to create and of course that's because we have a separate offering on the app so there's different discounts you get 50 free prints but it's also because we've tried to build our purpose into the messaging around the app. So we say it's basically that it's easier to create over there. And so if that's what we're claiming, that it's an easier way to create, then for me, the copy then needs to be easy to read and easy to understand. So if we're claiming it to be an easy to use app and then you're confronted with lengthy overly complicated copy we're going against that customer benefit that we've kind of positioned ourselves as so in practice that means refreshing our app onboarding screen so when you download the app at the moment you'll see quite a few screens that 
announce all these various things when really that can be a lot more streamlined. A lot of companies will utilise those pop-ups when you download an app that ask about tracking. They might revise the wording there slightly to, to encourage you to opt into tracking, which essentially means being served as so more relevant. I know, I know you can do that for push notifications because you can choose when to put to trigger that. But I thought mm. with the the tracking, I thought that was basically as soon as you load an app, Apple will trigger that. Yes. So actually it is. But what yeah. you can what you can do or what we've done anyway is before so when when you go through those onboarding screens, we'll have a page that introduces what we mean by tracking. And actually that's pretty hard to to nail down as what what that is, because it's always a little bit vague. But obviously every company wants you to say yes, please track allow us to track you. But even just the word itself is so off putting because it just yeah. sounds like some sort of GDPR nightmare so if we can like word it in a way that says you know we're going to make the experience better for you then hopefully it gives a bit more context to what that tracking message is that we're probably all just so used to clicking saying don't allow all the time but yeah i i don't actually think you can change the wording of what that tracking message says because i think it is loaded by apple yeah Um, well so i mean so is the push notification one but you can put your own push notification message message first by saying something like i guess in your case it might be would you like to receive notifications about your order when you yeah. place, first someone taps yes, and then it pulls up the Apple permissions permissions thing, which w- works really well. If you can get people to trigger them like that, yeah. it, it, they work really well. Because what brands used to do, you know, back in like ten years ago when mobile apps were still, I suppose, relatively new, all those pop ups would just start appearing right at the start. Mm. And obviously, people are going to say no, don't want yeah. push notifications, don't want this, don't want that, yeah. And I guess like even that then kind of on those onboarding screens, when, you, when you're being confronted with that, if you've then got to like flick through a million slides or whatever it is to tell you how the app works, it just feels like an effort to even get to the, the creation stage. Yeah. So there's been a lot of streamlining and, and like focusing on our micro copy and I suppose even down to tool tips, which I mentioned earlier. So if you're creating a photo book with us, we might have a kind of handy pointer that pops up while you're creating. And that should add to the experience and not just be something that, you also have to click off. But I think microcopy, microcopy, sorry, it can be a bit frightening, which probably sounds a bit hyperbolic, but you're you're trying to land brand personality in a small space where you need to be direct and functional most of the time, which is probably why I like writing it because it's challenging. But it, it, I guess it's when you have little wins like an emoji or whatever to to just add that bit of of something that isn't just really direct and and functional but microcopy is another thing that is definitely an evolution for us within the app and that I meet with the app designers every week to talk through what needs to go onto the site what's new they'll create draft copy and then I'll try and finesse it to sound a bit more like us but I'm always looking at what other brands are doing to kind of see what the how their apps look and because we know it's such a big growing space for us we want it we see it as an opportunity to be as fresh as possible whereas our website needs a bit of updating so yeah speaking of developers just reminded me of of some copy that was clearly developer written Mm. um was i was looking at doing online shopping for some reason i might have had I didn't have covid i might have been in isolation or something you know Mm. (laughs) during those periods and on Ocado. So the Ocado website wouldn't let me log in. And it was the message was something on the lines of your account has been disabled. Please contact customer service. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, Ocado is yeah, an online grocery store. 
I can't think of many reasons why my account would be disabled <laughs> unless potentially I'd done it at some point. I'm not sure. But the copy, there was also no link or anything. So there was no, they didn't give me the method to contact customer service. It just said, your account's been disabled. Please go, go contact customer service. Think of it out. It's just, it's one of these things, little things that gets overlooked. You know, a developer has just been told to put this error code, you know, put an error message in if someone's account's been disabled mm. and they've just gone and put your account's been disabled. Mm. That's, that's what it is. Not, not really thinking about things. I, I did get told in my first job, when you're putting together briefs for developers, you have to be very, very specific because mm. if you, you know, I remember on this, this wireframe, I had a little box which said button. And he said to me, you know, if, if you hand that over to them, you'll get a little box on the screen which says button. <laughs> yeah, quite yeah. literal. So, yeah. You know, that's it's it's a really good point. When we had we updated our like payment failed screens recently, and it seems like such a tiny thing, but the existing copy was super lengthy and something along the lines of like, your card didn't work, you'll need to do this. I can't remember the exact wording, but it was almost a bit confronting, like, oh, you know, you didn't have the money almost was was how it kind of read. <laughs> and so like to try and tweak that and just even make a joke of it or say something along the lines of like, oops, like that didn't go through, happens to the best of us, like give it another go. And if not, you'll find our customer services team here. Like that it's it's just a screen that could so easily be overlooked. But as you say, like that kind of stood out to you straight away. And to me, if I read that my account had been disabled, I would instantly think hacking that someone had been like trying to get into my account. And of course, maybe it doesn't matter on a cardo, but mm. it really would if it was a banking app, for example. So yeah. it's 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 so good if we can like audit regularly various screens that are on the app or on the website, whatever, and just say like, is there a better way we could say that that's the customer might not even notice that it's a nicer way of saying it, but they'll notice if it's said in a not very good way. So. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it occurs with error messages a lot. I think they're, they're quite an overlooked area. You know, the number of websites where I would go test things, you know, obviously, you know, with every client that I start with, one of the first things I do is have a run through of their website, have a little play with it, click mm -hmm. on random things, try and do things in ways that I think shouldn't work and mm -hmm. see what happens. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of the time there are problems in checkout. You know, I will, I won't put my phone number in and in a compulsory mm -hmm. field or something like that. And the error messages are just not helpful. And or, so formal. I think everyone goes really formal on yeah. an error message. Well, it's again, I think it's, there's probably a lot of default default error messages. You know, if you're mm. if you're using Magento or Shopify or something, there is probably a default error message that displays unless you go in and change it. And that yeah. default error message is quite possibly written by a developer who just is told he needs to display an error message there. So yeah, one more question on the copy side. How do you make sure you and your team are always improving? So I I guess it's tough to know with anything like brand related exactly what improvement means and I just noted down to call out an example of when an out of home campaign we ran at Treatwell that we were super proud of really hit the brief it was super relevant and it was just cool to be honest but because it didn't seem to drive a clear uplift in sales it was more or less considered a failure and that would suggest then to me that in order to improve we'd need more sales for our next campaign but of course brand doesn't work like that and behind the scenes 
maybe it is working people are sharing it sharing clever copy lines with their friends although it's probably just copywriters that do that or they're presenting it in brand workshops is like a good example or the ads just sticking in their head and it might get traction like performance later it's just so hard to know so I guess like we do have like brand trackers in place like at Photobox for example that collect data monthly so we can ask customers which brands they think of uh, when you think of a photo product company and hope they say photo box or we might show them an ad and ask who they think is behind it and again hope they say photo box but that can't always be attributed back to copy although I'll usually say it it is because I like to think that we have the most impact but then I suppose personally I think just surrounding yourself with other creatives so I might think that a line that I've written is genius for an advert I probably won't because I'm the queen of self-deprecation but I might write something and think you know oh this this smashes it but you've just got to run it past a a whole bunch of people copywriters of course to like check punctuation but like real people too so my friends or my boss or my family and really check in on like am I calling out a human truth in that copy or is it just something that me and my mum do in our northern town whatever that is so I think getting feedback from people on that within your industry and outside of it it can only make you better like if not just at copy but at responding to feedback so yeah surrounding yourself with people that you can rely on to ask for an honest opinion and that's just going to make you better all around yeah absolutely awesome so is there anyone in the kind of e-commerce marketing space that you'd want to sit down for lunch with so by this do you mean a person or like a brand it could be a person or if you don't know who the person is, someone from a particular brand that you okay. like. Yeah, if you don't know the exact person, that's fine. Okay, cool. So, well, if it was a person, I did I did write down that I would speak to Whitney Wolfhood, who founded Bumble, but I would want it to be lunch and dinner and drinks because I'd have so many questions yeah. about how she kind of shifted the dating app scene and revolutionized it. But as a brand, I actually would say Gorillas. So the marketing team behind Gorillas, which similar to Ocado in a way, is an on-demand grocery app where they deliver to your door in 10 minutes, I think is the is the claim that they make. Yeah. And I guess the reason for that is that there are so many grocery delivery apps at the minute that I'd kind of like to understand how they're pushing to be the go-to option. So I was at a festival at the weekend that was sponsored by GoPuff and I've been targeted by so many Gorillaz ads that to me, they, in my kind of media echo chamber, were the kind of go-to app. But then seeing this like big time sponsorship made me realise, okay, GoPuff must be doing pretty well. So that says that Gorillaz are doing a really good job of of targeting me. So I'd just like to understand how they're trying to be the best in the business right now. And they bring really good snacks as well to lunch. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a competitive space that people have been trying to crack for probably the best part of 10 years now. I think yeah, back when I was at Marco Media or my voucher codes, I think there was an app called Jin, J I N N. Maybe that was okay. a bit later, but yeah, that was a uh, you know the like Uber for anything yeah. sort of proposition, right? We will go. So they didn't have store. I don't think they had stores or any sort of pickup locations. They would literally just go send this person to go pick up whatever you had asked for wow. from whatever store. <laughs> so it's kind of like a Postmates in in the UK. Yeah, I feel like we don't have that anymore. No, we do. I just don't think anyone's made it work here. I don't mm. think any because com- I think Postmates. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I, th- I imagine they've had hundreds of millions in investment, and I don't think any company in the UK has had that level of investment to try and make that particular offering work. 
Because even I mean, I hope they don't. Because it's just, like already Gorillas has made me so lazy. Just when there's a shop around the corner, like if I could get literally everything delivered, then I wouldn't leave the house. So it's probably for the best. If yeah, yeah. But also, I think if you know if the likes of Uber Eats and Deliveroo are still trying to power through, then yeah, you know it's a it's a tough space. Final question: Are there any marketing tools that you'd recommend or copywriting tools? That kind of um, comes under marketing. But. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do admittedly use Grammarly now and then if it's something really important, just if I don't have a copywriter to run past, although Copy Club is, is amazing for that as well, for speaking with copywriters. They're probably quite obvious, but I just would say Facebook ads library, which I'm a bit weirdly obsessed with, to be honest, like looking at what competitors are doing. So right down to like their choice of headlines, which can only be 40 characters on a Facebook ad. So looking at yep. how diverse are they within that? Are they testing them? I think there's so much to learn from looking in ads library and also looking at your own ads and seeing if, you know, they're looking a bit dated or what you need to update. And then the other one would be milled.com, which is essentially a, a website for looking at other how other brands are running email campaigns. So you just search for the name of the company and it'll bring up a whole host of their of their email what's, template. What's that one? Milled.com. Okay. And And it's especially good for seasonal campaigns. So if you're looking at like a Father's Day or a Valentine's Day to see how competitors have kind of position themselves for that but it's also great for looking at your own content so I just did a search of us earlier to see like if we've kind of maintained the look and feel that we were trying to do for this time of year and luckily you can see that but I think it's just good like to check in and, and see how that aligns with with other with other companies too I just like to stalk the content basically so I think that's a good one yeah. to have cool all right sounds good well thank you this has been fantastic really really interesting copies I mean it's copy something I, I work a lot with because you know half of conversion mm. probably about half of conversion is coffee related if anyone wanted to reach out and find out more what's the best way of doing and linkedin is probably the best place to go so just rachel spedding okay. and drop me a message there cool awesome right thank you so much rachel thanks well it's really nice speaking to you customers love a discount uh, this applies to most industries really uh, but especially in the photo printing industry everyone discounts and customers expect it so competing on price isn't really uh, that great an idea you know brands need to compete on something else but this doesn't just apply to brands who are worried about discounting. Uh, even brands who don't discount at all can still focus on these on these key pillars. Focusing on ease of use, uh, quality of product and speed of delivery are three really powerful ways to win over customers and retain them. And remember, even if you have these things, potential customers don't know that unless you tell them. A great way to tell them involves imp- impact. And a great way to tell them involves impactful copy that people actually remember. If you'd like to hear more from Rachel, you can find her on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Shanif Danani joining me to explain how brands can use data to provide more personalised offers to their customers. But until then, keep those customers clicking.